0: Welcome to the P. Vine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, would you take your Bibles. turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 i mean, my sermon series called Family 101 Start Here, and here's why we're calling it that, because there are some basic family, uh, you know, roles that you need to know. The Bible tells us those. It tells us how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, parent, child, all that. But there are some basic things you have to get down before we even do that. As a matter of fact, you, if you'll get the basic things right, if you'll get the one-on-one stuff right, that's just pure relationship stuff that's right in your home, then if you'll get that right, it makes all the rest of it so much easier and it even will come up, cover up some of the shortcomings of, um, Uh, some of the stuff you do wrong otherwise so we've been talking about that we've been talking about having uh, communication uh, in the home joy in the home happiness in the home those kind of things and so today I'm going to look and we talked about attitude I couldn't remember my second sermon I know y'all remembered it I just couldn't remember it right there on the spot and uh, uh, we've been talking about all those things well today I want to talk about I want to preach on this subject call it love is in the air I'm going to preach on from 1 Corinthians 13 now here's a weird thing I have never, as far as I know, preached a sermon from 1 Corinthians 13. I read it in weddings, but I don't preach sermons on it. never really found a I never preached a sermon on it. So I kind of dove in to 1 Corinthians 13 to see what the Bible would say and how to compare this into our home because it's the, it's the quintessential chapter on love. And so we're going to take that that love chapter, and we're going to apply it into our homes today and talk about that. Hey, let me, let me show you a picture. Uh, uh, guys, throw that picture up on the screen. That, that the picture doesn't mean anything to you, but that is a man named uh, uh, Michael Joyce. Michael Joyce has Alzheimer's, and um, he is in getting to be kind of, uh, it's progressed in his life, and so it's progressed so far that he forgot that he was married to his wife of 38 years. That's her Linda Joyce standing next to him. So they are in their mid to late 60s, and he woke up one morning not really realizing where he was and what was going on, and he woke up that morning, and he proposed to his wife. He had forgotten that he was married to his wife, of 38 years. So Linda Joyce said yes. She thought he would forget. But the next morning, Michael, who's 68, woke up and said, so when are we doing this? And so Linda sent out invitations to her friends and community, and here's what she said. My adored hubby of 38 years suffers from Alzheimer's. Two nights ago, out of the blue, With tear-filled eyes, he asked me to marry him. Michael had clearly forgotten we were already married, but I absolutely went along with him and said I would be delighted to be his wife. In spite of his confused mind, he obviously knows and feels this is something he really wants to do. To Michael, it will be our wedding ceremony, and to our friends and myself, a truly precious, memorable occasion. They set a date. And on the morning of their... wedding he she thought he would probably would not remember but he woke up and said today's the day and they went out under that tree surrounded by family and friends and in Michael's mind they were married for the first time now I read that story that happened I think just this past January There are couples from New Zealand and I read that story and got a little teary-eyed this week reading it, thinking So that's how I want to be, right? Like if I lose my mind, I may cheer for Alabama. I may cheer for Tennessee in a confused state of mind. But I still want to be in love with my wife, even then. But I want to say to you this morning that 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 is maybe what, you know, speaking in a secular manner, not using a Bible verse yet, but, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way I want it to be. That's kind of the way I, I'm picturing it. But I want to be honest with you. It's going to be hard to get there when you're uh, in your 60s and 70s and 80s if you're not there in your 20s and 30s and 40s. How do we get there? How do we get to have that love that is so tight in our family, in our marriages, in our homes with our kids? How do we have that kind of love in our home that we would do it all over again well first corinthians 13 tells us exactly that so would you stand with me as we honor god's word by reading it first corinthians chapter 13 these words are familiar to you if you've been in church any amount of time though i speak with the tongues of men and angels verse one but have not love i have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it proffers me nothing. Verse 4, love suffers long, and is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Then verse 7. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known, and now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Thank you, you may be seated. Now, now, let me tell you where we are in 1 Corinthians 13. If you've never read the book of 1 Corinthians, you may not know this. If you have, you may have picked up on it. 1 Corinthians was an absolute, the, the church at Corinth was an absolute mess of a church. I cannot describe to you what an awful mess. I mean, some of it, the stuff that was going on in 1 Corinthians is almost inappropriate to talk about in a church service. It was all messed up. Their theology was wrong, their practice was wrong, Uh, everything they were doing was just a mess. And now Paul, beginning about verse number 12, uh, chapter number 12, is starting to deal with this topic of spiritual gifts because uh, 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 the Corinthian church has got it all messed up and so Really in chapter 12 and chapter 14, Paul's trying to correct their thinking about spiritual gifts, specifically this idea of speaking in tongues. And by the way, speaking of tongues is when you proclaim the gospel in a language you do not know so that people in their language can hear the gospel and be saved. It's not a heavenly language, it's not an angelic language, it's a known language that you speak out but you don't know, or even the hearers hear and they don't know. And so Paul's trying to fix all that, Paul's trying to correct all that, especially in chapter 12 and then chapter 14, but he drops right in the middle of chapter 12 and 14. It's, the, it's, the, it's this beautiful lot that he, he drops into chapter 13. And Paul, in the middle of this discussion on, on, in, in chapter uh, 13, then has to, uh, in, uh, in 12, 14, has to deal with love in chapter 13. So understand the context of where we are. Paul stops in 13 just to say, here's what real love looks like. Now, he's talking about it in terms of spiritual gifts, but it's taken on so much more. God gave us that chapter so we could understand what love means because you know in, in, in their times in the Greek language that there are about three or four words for love. There's agape and phileo and eros. and uh, So there, there are other words for love, and so this is agape love he's talking about, and so we have a hard time even describing that in our English language. And so Paul took a chapter, God took a chapter and gave it to us and said, here's what agape love looks like. Here's what Christ-like love looks like. So let me walk you through really the whole chapter, but I'm going to spend most of my time on about eight verses and I'm going to try to do it in a hurry. And guys, throw verse one back up on the screen and I just want you to see it when I go through it. Now, Paul talks starts off, really, in, 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 chap, in chapter 13, he starts off in verse number 1, and in verse number 1 is where he starts uh, uh, laying out some, almost some hypothetical situations. Here's what he says. Look, look at verse number 1. You look in your Bible on the screen. And he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love. Become sounding brass or a tinkering cymbal. They'll have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and they'll have all faith so I can remove mountains. Verse number three says, Though no, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned. Now I want you to stop right there. Go back to verse number one. And you go back to verse number one. He, now notice what Paul is setting up here. He is setting up what I want to call super Christian. And so he says, Though I Speak with tongues of men and angels. Here's what Paul is saying. Now in, in, in that passage, he's talking about tongues, but really what he's talking about is an eloquent speech even in there. And Paul is trying to say, so, so if you are the most spiritual person on the planet or in the church, verse number one. In verse number two, he said, though I have the gift of prophecy, which was preaching and teaching in the church, and Paul says, so here's super Christian. Verse 1, you may have been the most spiritual. Verse 2, you may have been the most talented. Like you, you've got the ability to speak and, and teach and give out prophetic words from the word of God. And, and man, people are really engaged in that. And so you may be the most talented person in the church. And though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Now again, what Paul is building a super Christian here, all mysteries and all knowledge. You may be the most educated person in the church. So Paul has said, you could be the most spiritual, you could be the most talented, you could be the most education in the church. And though I have all faith, listen, how big a faith, Paul? So that I could remove mountains. That's that's a word Jesus spoke. Remember that? Jesus said he had a faith, you can tell a mountain to be moved, to be moved. Paul's saying you may be the most godly person around. So you may be the most spiritual, you may be the most talented, you may be the most educated, you may be the most godly, and then he says, in verse 3, and if I give all my goods to feed the poor, you may be the most generous person around. When the offering plate passes by, you may put the biggest check and the biggest wad of cash in the offering plate, and though I give my body to be burnt, he's speaking about being a martyr for the cause of Christ, and he says, you may be the most dedicated person around so here's what Paul said Paul's building super Christian Paul said uh, you may be the most spiritual you may be the most talented you may be the most educated you may be the most generous you may be the most godly you may be the most dedicated now listen I'll be honest with you Uh, that's super Christian, right? Because none of us hold those titles. None of us would be comfortable holding any of those titles, right? I don't want to be called the most godly. I don't want to be called the most anything. Uh, But Paul said, if you were that guy, that guy doesn't exist. But if you were that guy, hold on, but don't have love. Now, I'm working the sound guys, but go back to verse number one. He says, you have become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And before I studied this passage out, I always thought that meant had something to do with music. It doesn't have anything to do with music. It means basically you sound like clanging pots. You ever hear a busy kitchen? That's what he's talking about right there. I know some of you are not familiar with the oven in your house, but if you go to a restaurant day and age in which we live right he said you you may be super Christian but if you don't have love listen the words sounding brass or clanging cymbal literally means an irritating noise Paul said this you may be super Christian you may be the most spiritual the most educated most talented most godly most generous most dedicated Christian the world has ever seen but if you don't have love let me tell you what you're just getting on our nerves In verse number 2, he says, not only that, you are nothing. Verse number 3, he says, it profits nothing. So I want to say this for your family and get this before we move really into the sermon that that Paul is trying to say, hey, listen, you, you can't miss this point. You can do a lot of things for your family, but if you don't love them, it all amounts to nothing. You said, preacher, you don't have to preach a sermon on loving my family. Obviously, I love my wife. Obviously, I love my husband. Obviously, I love my kids. Obviously, I love my parents. You don't have to preach a sermon and tell us to love. We kind of said that in the vows. We kind of, you know, the kids were born to us. We got to love them, right? We don't have a choice. We, I love my kids, you know, whatever. So Paul Said, there's a lot of confusion about the word love. And so Paul said, well, let me, let me straighten up. Uh, so if you say you love, and we're gonna apply it to the family Dave, you say you love your family, and Paul's talking about anybody, any place, anywhere, but especially is true for the family. And Paul says, all right, if you're gonna say you love your family before you just get real spiritual and say, of course I do, let me tell you what love looks like. And he starts off in verse number four. In verse number four, there's these series of descriptors that describe what love looks like. Look at what it says in verse number four. Love suffers, long. It's a word, some of your translations may even say patience. It's a word that means literally means patience with people. Real love, real godly love, real true love has patience with people. That, here's what that means, ladies and gentlemen, that if you love your family, we are patient with the people in our home. Love is suffers long. Love is kind. That's the only time that particular word for kindness is used in the whole New Testament, and it means that love is kind even towards people who are not kind towards us. Love does not envy, meaning It's not jealous. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. The word could be translated even windbag. Love is not concerned with being first in line. Love does not, it says, behave rudely. That is anything uh, disgraceful or indecent. Love does not seek its own. Love does not insist on its own way. Love, get this, is not selfish. Love is not self-centered. Love is not easily provoked. It's a problem in a lot of families that we are quick to anger. We're, we're so easily provoked. And I don't know why it is, but look, look, you, you, you experience in your family, we can ha- we'll have patience with strangers that we won't have with our own spouse, that we won't have with our own kids. We won't have with our own parents. Love in your family is not easily provoked. And then number three, he said love, or not number three, next, he said love thinks no evil. Let me tell you what, that is the greatest word in the Bible. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean you don't think evil. Here's what it means. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Some of your translations say that. Love does not keep a list of all the wrongs ready to bring them up. Love, Proverbs and Psalms tells us, covers a multitude of sins. But uh, love keeps no, thinks no evil. That means it keeps no record of evil. It keeps no record of wrong. Listen, one of the things that is so detrimental to our families is we keep a record of everything you ever did to me. Like the guy that went to work and said, man, pray for me. My wife and I having a hard time. She went all historical last night. And the guy said, I think you mean hysterical. And he said, no, I mean historical. She told me everything I'd ever done wrong. <laughs> love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love, love he goes on uh, to say, it, it, listen, I love, uh, just he, he lays out these quick words. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, always believes the best. Love hopes all things Love endures all things. It's a military word. Means Look, endures all things. Here's what that means. It's a military word that means love is strong and full of fight. It doesn't give up, which leads Paul to say that last phrase in verse number 8, love never fails, never fails. And then you go around through the rest of verse number 8 and on through the rest of the chapter, and that's where Paul says those famous words. Listen, everything else is going to cease. Everything, else, everything we do in the church is not going to happen one day. The, the three things that are going to f- survive are faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the pinnacle of these is love. So that is, and that's so fast. Man, I, I could have preached for two hours this morning, and, and I've got about 12, 13 minutes left. And so I want to take and I want to give you uh, three things that I know that, that God would have us to hear this morning from this passage about loving our families. Here, here they are. Number one is this. Nothing can take the place of love. Here's what Paul told us. There is nothing in your family that can take the place of love. In terms of the church, he said nothing will do it. No amount of spirituality or spiritual service can take the place of love. Listen, no great speaker, no amount of knowledge, no amount of faith, no amount of money, no amount of giving, not even giving your life for the gospel. Listen, not even giving your life for the gospel. Matters as much as love, all of those things that Paul said we would have put on a high pedestal, but the epitome of Christian living is not doing all those things. Jesus said, no, that's not it. The epitome of Christian living is loving people. And I want to say this, if that's true for people you're sitting beside this morning, the same is absolutely true for your family. Nothing in your family can take the place of love. Our world is filled with families, maybe even yours, where we're trying to use stuff to replace love. It's just not going to work. Family 101 is that love is the foundation of your home. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can give That can take the place of love. And that's often why what we try uh, to do is we try to give an experience. We're trying to give an item. We're trying to buy uh, love with these items and we're trying to experience uh, or or stuff that takes the place of love. And I want to tell you, it will not work. Listen, can I be truthful with you? Your family will not remember the stuff in years to come, but they will remember. If they were loved. Stuff fades. Love doesn't. As a matter of fact, love is the ingredient in your home that nothing can replace. Love is the one step that cannot be skipped. I'm an egghead. Anybody else, an egghead in the building? You know what I say, egghead? You know what I mean? Anybody else on a big green egg? You got a big green egg? Do you know what a big green egg is? It's a big green dome shaped grill smoker thing. My wife got me one for Father's Day or something a few years ago and we, we got an extra large one and we, we love it so much we went and got another small one to go with it just to cook stuff for me and her. And, and if you like to barbecue, if you like to grill, Al, you like to smoke things, man, this big green egg is a thing to have. As a matter of fact, just for no other reason than to make you salivate a little bit, I brought a picture of the Boston butt I smoked uh, just the other day. What holiday did we just have? Memorial Day, is that it? Yeah, and so I did that for the family. Now, that is a that is a. Nice piece of pork right there, and here's what I've done. I've rubbed that thing down with, must, uh, with mustard, and you coat the thing with mustard really well. And then uh, I've put a rub all over that that thing. I mean, I, I talked it up good. We bought one. We were traveling one day. It was a, it was a pork rub, and so I just got that thing slathered down really well. I'm, I do a fast smoke on this thing, and, and, and I'll cook it like this for about three and a half hours, and then I'll take... Tin foil, and I wrap it up in tin foil, and I'll pour pour some kind of liquid in there. I actually pour Coke in there with it and uh, let it simmer for about two hours. And that, and you take, I took that off that day, and I got my big knife and I chopped it up, and the bone just pulled. I mean, it was delicious. Now, I know some of you are vegetarians, and this is offensive to you. You probably drink Pepsi too, I know it. And so, so I, I know this is offensive to you, but listen, if that is offensive to you, then that is actually a broccoli loaf that I have pushed together really tightly. Now, if you're an egghead, and you, you, man, you, you talk to eggheads, and, and they're always talking about the big green egg and how to cook, and I'm not even good at it, and, and I love it. And, man, they'll talk about every step you got to do, and there's about 10 steps, and I, got, I save all my recipes somewhere. Did you know that there's a, all kinds of ways to cook that, uh, uh, that pork? Man, there's all kinds of ways to make barbecue with that. But did you know there is absolutely one step that all of us who are eggheads have to do I don't care what your recipe is I don't care how you cook it I don't care what kind of rub you put on it some people will cook this thing 10 or 12 hours I do mine for 5 I mean, I don't care what you do there's a million different combinations but there's one thing we all have to do you know what that is we gotta light the grill that's it you can take that picture down. People are starting to salivate on the corner of their mouths, and it's getting embarrassing. You say, well, "Preach, that's that's pretty dumb." Well, maybe, but I'm going to be honest. For your family, it's kind of the same principle. All of our families are going to look different. All of our families are going to act different. We're going to we're going to operate in different ways. But I want to tell you, lighting the grill of love in, uh, lighting the grill of your family is the love that you bestow in your family. Because love is the fire that keeps the marriage hot. Love is the fire that keeps the children engaged. Love is the fire that brings you close to one another. Love is the fire that keeps you warm in difficult times. And absolutely, family one-on-one is nothing can take the place of love. So let me ask you about your family. If you're a husband or a dad, let me ask you. Is how you operate in the home resemble what we just ran down in 1 Corinthians 13? Mom, let me ask you. Is how you operate in the home resemble 1 Corinthians 13? Kids, let me ask you. Parents, let me ask you. Is how you operate in the home, is love in the air? Is love permeating your home? Are you loving your family members or are you trying to replace it with something else? Because the truth is, nothing can take the place of love. The second thing I'm going to tell you is this love is more about them than you. So here's the main problem with love. We tend to talk, think more about ourselves as the object and subject of love than, than what we're supposed to. So here, here's the questions we ask. Does he love me? Is she in love with me? And we tend to think of ourselves as the recipient of love even in the family. You can hear families fight, and when families fight and they wind up in my office and me doing counseling with them, uh, one spouse says, all, look, I've never had a dad sit down and say, well, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not loving my wife the way I would love her. It's all my fault. I've never had a wife sit down and say, it's all my fault. I, here's what I, they sit and say, preacher, she doesn't love me the way she ought to love me. Preacher, he doesn't love me the way he ought to love me. And we make ourselves the subject of love. But listen, God is not overly concerned with, uh, about how much you get loved. You okay with that? God is concerned about how much you are loving them. Love is more about them than you. If your family is going to be what it ought to be, you've got to get this part straight. Love is about them, not you. Do you know your life and your family will be so happier and more enjoyable if each one is concerned? Get this. Get this. If you're more concerned with making sure others are loved, instead of demanding you be loved, and love has an amazing quality. When you make sure others are loved, they tend to turn around and reciprocate that love to you. If, if you just get your eyes and heart and mind and will and passions focused on uh, uh, making sure you're your spouse is loved. Make sure your kids are loved. Make sure your parents are loved. Don't get hung up on how much you're being loved. It's amazing, but the trouble is in our homes, we get so focused on ourselves. Our homes don't have the love they ought to have. It's like when you're driving a car. When you're driving a car, you can't sit there and be focused. You've got to look forward. I, I, I read this story. It just happened a little bit ago. Actually, it happened to, uh, about two years ago, but a nine-year-old boy was injured in a car wreck, and I actually have a picture of it. I, I want to show it to you. Nine-year-old boys was injured in a car wreck, and I know you say, well, what happened? Angela Kipp, who's 35, Syracuse, uh, Indiana, was backing out of her driveway with a nine-year-old boy when um, a spider jumped on her soul, shoulder. So Angela did what any good, loving, compassionate mother would do. She jumped out of the car. That's not a joke. She jumped out of the car. She got so focused on herself. She jumped out of the car and she left her nine year old in the car. So the nine year old, panicking, jumped over into the driver's seat and tried to hit the brake, but he missed. And guess what he hit? The gas. And then guess what he hit? The school bus. Luckily, there are no kids on the bus. He got taken to the hospital with head injuries, but he was all fine. And now his mother has to endure the complete embarrassment of having jumped out of a car while it was moving. The police officer said, and I quote, This situation was completely unique, bizarre. You think? See, if you get so focused on yourself, you forget there are other people in the car with you, your family's gonna crash and burn. Some people even jump out because they're so focused on themselves. Listen, Family 101 is you worry more about loving your family than them loving you. Now, I know that's hard to hear. Like, I know that. That's difficult. I know that there are times where you're in a situation where you don't feel loved at all. There's times in a situation where you're, you don't feel like your spouse is paying you attention, your parents, your kids, whoever it may be. You're in a family situation. If you're not careful, let me tell you what the, the devil will do. The devil will slide a mirror right in front of your face, and he'll keep your mind, heart, and attention focused on you all the time. And when you become so you-focused... All you can see is what you're not getting. And so 1 Corinthians 13 says this in general, but it's so true in the family. 1 Corinthians 13 is this. Hey, when you run through that list of attributes, it's all about how you treat other people. It's all about how you're treating them. It's not about you. It's about what you're giving out. And you say, preacher, I I can't tell you how many times. I've had people sit down in my office and, they, and they've said something basically like this. Well, preacher, when he starts loving me the way he ought to love me, I'll love him the way I ought to love him. Well, I'm glad Jesus didn't do that, aren't you? No, family one-on-one is, that's your family. You dive in and you love them the way God would have you love them. You say, Preacher, what if they don't love me back? I, I can't guarantee you they will. But it's, it's the epitome of Christ likeness to love those even who don't love you. Now, listen, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's the way it's going to turn out. But you have got to get your focus off you and on them because it's more about them than it is you. Number three, let me tell you this about love. Number three, love is not an emotion, it's an action. Catch this today. Paul never once talked about love as an emotion. We've done a disservice in the English to cage it as an only as an emotion. I told you earlier it's the Greek word agape. It means willful direction of love. Here's what it means. In other words, love is a choice. Love is an action. If you say I don't love someone, you mean you don't have feelings for them. But what you're really saying is, I choose not to express love towards them anymore. Did you know you can love someone even without the feeling? That's what godly love is. Sometimes you, that's the way you have to love in the family. Look, hey, look this way. Sometimes you have to love somebody even when you don't feel like it. Can you be spiritual enough? Say amen right there, right? You you don't always love him like, you don't look, Joshua and KK have been married a year, right? They still roll over in bed in the morning and they, they're like oh, it's just, it's joy of my life to wake up next to you. Right? You've been married 40 years. You roll over and you say, Your breath is bad today. <laughs> don't kiss me without brushing your teeth. Right? Right? There's there are times that the, the, the feeling, the emotion is not there. That's why Paul Let us know that love is not an emotion. The word Paul is describing is love is an action. Listen, I'm not suggesting the norm ought to be that you're loving people without the feelings. It shouldn't be. I'm suggesting that when you love somebody on purpose, the feelings will chase close behind the action. Hey, can I say this? If If you're waiting on the feelings sometime to love someone, the feelings may never come. But if you'll love on purpose and love with intentionality and love even when you don't have the feelings, what almost always happens are the feelings come behind it. Most of the time, the reason you don't feel it with your family is because you are are not loving them with intentionality. And if you will love with intentionality, if you will love on purpose, if you'll love with action, your family will be blessed for all its days. Hey, close your Bibles. Let me tell you a story. I'm finished. You know the name Albert Einstein, right? Like, you know, E equals MC squared, the atomic bomb. He was the one who kind of got that started. And Albert Einstein passionately wooed his first wife, Maliva Merrick, against his own family's wishes, and the, the two eventually got married. But the marriage was not really a good one. We, we, we didn't discover some things about it until uh, 1987. Some letters written between 1897 and 1903, 1897, tell us a lot about their relationship. As a matter of fact, um, their their relationship had gotten so bad that they sat down, Albert sat down, because, you know, he's a physicist, he's a scientist, E equals MC squared. So Albert Einstein sat down and wrote a prescription To make the marriage better. And we have it. Let me me show it to you on the screen. Number one, he says, you will make sure, number one, that my clothes and laundry are kept in good order. Number two, that I will receive my three meals regularly in my room. Number three, that my bedroom and study are kept neat and especially that my desk is left for my use only. That was category A. But he's not done. Category B, you will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they are completely necessary for social reasons. Specifically, you will forego, number one, my sitting at home with you. Number two, my going out or traveling with you. Wait, he's not done. C, you will obey the following points in your relationship with me. Number one. You will not expect any intimacy from me, nor will you approach me in any way, okay? Number two, you will stop talking to me if I request it. (laughs) I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, right? It's so (laughs) sweet. You will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. And he's not done. Category D. You will not undertake... You will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children, either through words or behavior. Hold on to your pants. Hold on. You're not going to believe this. They didn't make it. They got divorced. (laughs) I know you're shocked, right? I mean, what a great plan for fixing your marriage, right? I mean, that's it. Some of you men, you can request that list from me, and I'll send it to you later on this afternoon, all right? Unfortunately, that's how a lot of us, when times get tough, we deteriorate. And we start looking at how we need to be treated. Instead, Albert Einstein should have sat down and said, here's how I'm going to love you. Because love's not an emotion. Emotion comes with it, but love is an action, and when you choose the action, the emotion will come behind it, but if you're sitting around trying to recapture the emotion by getting instead of giving, it's never going to happen. love's more about them. Nothing 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 can replace love in your home. Love is but is more about them than it is you because when we start talking about love in the family it's almost always how much we're being loved. And so what you have to understand is love's not an emotion. It's fine. it carries with it emotions but it's primarily an action. And I'll prove it to you with one verse. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he. See, if, if we had written that verse in regards to our own families, if we'd written that verse, here's what we'd say. For, for God so loved the world that he felt. Listen, we know from the book of John, the gospel of John, Jesus did not look at the cross and, and say, Oh boy, I get to go bear the sins of the whole world. Now, we're told later on for the joy that was set before him because he knew he was redeeming mankind. But we see the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where it was a burn and it was a weight on Jesus Christ. But he, he didn't have, he wasn't giddy about going to the cross, but he did it so we could be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave, and that's real love. And that's real love in your family. So, if you want to be like Jesus, you go home and love like Jesus the way 1 Corinthians says we ought to. Just stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You may be here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. I have news for you that John 3 16 verse is the most powerful verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved you so much. He gave his son to be the sacrifice for your sins and mine. If you'll put your faith and trust in him, you can be saved today. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner and can't save yourself. B, believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And C, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so while we're here and our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I'm going to have staff members standing here. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Pivine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.pvine.org. Thanks for listening.